Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of July 29th, 2021, including Xbox Series X and S are the fastest selling Xbox consoles ever, Halo Infinite test flighting is beginning now, some core Borderlands talent has left Gearbox, and more. Well, you know what the Bible says about making it to episode 112 of a podcast. That means there will be 112 virgins waiting for me in heaven. Welcome to another week of Xbox On, the only podcast in all the world dedicated to Xbox that arguably would make more sense as a Sega slash Sonic podcast, but uh, you're stuck with me. I'm your host. I'm the Jesse guy, and I want to start this week by saying congratulations to Xbox Game Studios. On Well, I guess not Xbox Game Studios, since only one of these is a first-party title, but congratulations to the Xbox community and brand on the launch of two new exclusive games that came out this week. Yeah, it's been a, a regular summer with a decent drought of new content, or new games rather, but hey, this week, Microsoft Flight Simulator makes its way to Xbox Series X and S, the first game on Xbox to not be available on the Xbox One, just the S and X, and yes, I know... It's going to come to Xbox One through Game Pass at some point via streaming. Shut up. It's only coming to Xbox Series X and S in the traditional sense. Obviously, it's been on PC for a while now, but welcome Xbox or Microsoft Flight Simulator. I have not played you yet. I haven't even downloaded you yet, but I do plan on getting around to trying this game out at some point. The other game coming out this week and the more exciting one for myself, as I've been looking forward to this game for over a year now, is The Ascent, which is a new indie top-down, twin-sticks, RPG, shooting, cyberpunk kind of futuristic game. That looks really, really cool. I've been really pumped about this game. At the, t- at the time you're listening to this show on Thursday, when it goes live, the game is out now. But unfortunately, I won't be able to play it. But it's it's a good unfortunate. We'll talk about why in just a minute here, of course. But just wanted to get that out of the way. Say a couple congratulations to some new High-profile content coming to the Xbox Series X and S this week. Very exciting stuff. Of course, The Ascent also playable on the Xbox One, and all of these games always available on PC. Because when you play when you play Xbox, there's a platform for everyone to play. Xbox doesn't exclude. It doesn't say, "Oh, you got the old hardware, or you got the one with the, the clicky mouse. You can't play here." No, Xbox doesn't say that. Xbox says, "Hey, we welcome you, no matter where you're from, unless it's PlayStation. Then you can go fuck yourself." Just kidding. I'm not, I'm, not in, I'm not trying to actively incite console wars. Anyway, with that out of the way, I do want to do another little Twitch plug to start out the show, you guys. I've been very excited about doing Twitch. As a reminder, skip ahead a minute or two if you don't like Twitch talk. I know it's annoying, but I just got to plug this in real quick because I'm really excited about it. It's new. It's something new I'm doing. I get excited about personal projects and things that aren't uh, my day job. So let me just let me just indulge for a moment, guys. The goal was if we hit 50 followers, we'll start streaming. Well, we hit that goal a lot sooner than I thought. So for the past week, we've been streaming. I'm, I'm live Mondays, I'm live Thursdays, and sometimes even on the weekend a little bit. So this past week, we did a, a Sunday night stream. It was a lot of fun. We played some Halo. Uh, we tried to play Splitgate this past Monday, but that didn't really work out. So we played some more Halo. And then this upcoming Thursday, today, the day you're listening to the show, we were supposed to get into the Ascent. But like I said, give me a minute. 
We'll get to why we're not playing The Ascent this Thursday. But yeah, I'm live every week. You can follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash lightningmcstream. Stream, like Lightning McQueen from Cars, but with stream instead of queen. Links and all that in the description on YouTube. But yeah, let's try to hit... I don't know, I'm feeling a little bold, guys. Let's try to hit 1 million followers uh, by the end of the year. I think it's pretty doable. But please do check me out. We're having a lot of fun over there. Thanks to all of you who have so far uh, followed or checked out the stream or in some way engaged. It's been a lot of a lot of fun for me to flex my creative muscle and do something a little more with this show and this community and try to expand a little more. We have a lot of fun things happening in the Xbox on ecosystem that that will be adding in and expanding on in the following months. So stay tuned for more information. I want to go further than just a weekly Xbox podcast. And thanks to your guys' support and and, 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 and engagement. I think we might even get to get there. Might even get to go there. All right. With all that out of the way, before we jump into our comments and start of the show, I want to do a quick little update on last week's massive blowout story about. I shouldn't say blow. I should say uh, massive fiasco blunder story revealing all the Activision allegations of workplace inequality and sexual harassment and all these things and just general workplace harassment and, and things like that. So this story has been evolving a lot since we spoke last week. I do want to just bring to light that there have been some really awful statements made by the by the CEO, Bobby Kodak, as well as some other executives at Activision, having a very like aggressive yet defensive kind of take on, on these allegations rather than just a really nice, well-thought-out PR move, which is I find very interesting. It, it, and just to point out, it does seem like a lot of these allegations, a lot of this research is coming more specifically from the Activision Blizzard side of the business. So the, the guys that make, you know, it's funny how every time we have to bring up Overwatch on this podcast, I always make the same fucking tired joke about Overwatch, the obnoxiously popular hero shooter game with the girl with the chicken suit boobies and the little monkey with the with the guns and they do like the little penis pictures and then all the fans go on DeviantArt and make all the naughty, dirty sexual pictures and then all the fans get really involved in the fan fiction surrounding the monkey guy with the gun and the chicken suit girl with the boobies and they all do all the naughty stuff it's really funny how i've been funny in a twisted way not in a haha way how i've been just ripping on this company forever and shitting on this game and lo and behold of course they are like an epicenter for <laughs> workplace misconduct and, and impropriety and abuse and all these things so a little fucked up but uh unintentional I, di I didn't know it wasn't that i do something i wasn't telling you guys that's just just so happened to be the case but Hey, it doesn't surprise me that if you make a game like that, you might be a company like that. Who knows? But no, that's not, not a joking matter. I don't mean to make light of a big situation. I just want to bring it up to say this story is still ever evolving. So if this is something you're interested in keeping up with and following alongside, there's plenty of, plenty of resources out there. And I just want to I just say that a lot of this sometime this week, I think it might even be today or tomorrow, that a lot of Activision employees are planning on doing a walkout in protest or in support of the in in protest of their higher ups and their executives who have failed them as a company to uphold more equal workplace and a more fair workplace uh, and more justice for people who've been wrongly treated at this company. So I want to point out a lot of a lot of employees at Activision and Blizzard are going to be doing a staged walkout. Uh, a lot of work from home employees are going to be using a hashtag. I forget the name. I forget what the hashtag is. So now I kind of feel bad. Uh, but it's even sparked some some support over at Ubisoft, which is another major publisher. It's had a lot of similar kind of allegations in recent in the recent ye past year or so, uh, but not seemingly or nearly as as massive as as what Activision's facing. But a lot of people over there are starting to support it and well 
as well in an attempt to bring more attention to their company's uh, similar accusations. But yeah, I just wanted to put all that out there, give you guys an update, and just uh, if this is something you feel strongly about and want to support in any way, there is more going on. So with that out of the way, guys, let's jump into our regular comments, shoutouts, and whatnot. You know how this works. You go to YouTube.com, you look up Second Best Gaming, but not for long, because I'm currently working on a name. We're going we're gonna to change the Second Best Branding. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to finally come up with a firm name for the YouTube page, but we're working on it. Uh, but you, for now, you go to youtube.com slash secondbestgaming, you find the page, you see the Xbox on podcast playlist, click on that bad boy, and you're going to leave a comment on the latest episode if you want to be read. Because I'm not digging to episode uh, 93 and going to be like, oh, that's so cute. This person wants to leave a comment from a few months ago. Let me Let me just dig through this shit to find that new comment. No, we're not doing that. You leave a comment on the latest episode, and I'll read it. You can say anything nice or mean, doesn't really matter, as long as you're not offending anyone in particular in the audience or or insulting one another or bullying one another, you're fine to be right on the air. You can be really nice. You can say, Jesse, Jesse, keep doing what you're doing. I love seeing you expand your horizons and try to do new things. Also, I'm really happy that we're going to be playing some Halo Infinite in just a little bit here. I think it looks awesome. I think you were right to tell me this game was cool to play and that 343 was cool to develop Halo and that all the Halo fanboys were just being little little bitches and that we all need to cool and just be cool and play the halo and i'll be like wow nice comment very level-headed comment Let, let's read this right now or you can leave a mean comment you can say jesse you're dumb halo's dumb i don't even own an xbox i'm a lifelong dedicated ouya gamer but i may buy a steam deck it depends if my grandma will give me a, a nicer allowance but I just wanted to let you know the show sucks and you suck. Also, AirPods are really cool to wear in your ears. I try to put three or four in each ear hole, uh, as many as will fit. Uh, bye. And I'll be like, that's a fucking mean comment. But more importantly, that's a weird comment. Uh, nonetheless, here you are getting right on the air. Anyway, our first comment comes from Mr. Sam Torres, who's getting double penetration this week because he's getting a comment here and a comment a little later. But what can I say? I like Sam Torres, so fucking get over it. Yeah, I pick favorites. Sam says, Jesse... Got pissed twice. Activision shit is horrific. Sumo Digital shit is incomprehensible. They have such a great list of games that they've made. Sonic All-Star Racing through Team Sonic Racing, Disney Infinity 3.0, and and that's just the racers. Stop right there. Sam Torres, do you just stalk my personal life and try to be like, oh, this? what are the things Jesse likes? What are the things that will evoke emotion in Jesse? I think you're just playing the game to get me to be like, oh yeah, gotta read this guy's comments, because it's like, you're reading my mind, you're like, Disney and Sonic, and oh man, Jesse's gonna read this comment, and it's like, yeah, I, you're damn right I am, absolutely. Also remember, Sumo Digital did a fucking, if you want to know bad game, they did Crackdown 3, so something really close to home for us Xbox fans, but yeah, c- continuing on, you say, excellent studio, I can't believe they got bought, also, Steam Deck just doesn't look like it's ergonomically friendly to hold in your hands, great show, glad you're passionate about something as important as people's lives and freedom, thank you, Sam, very kind words, and uh, yeah, I think, to sum up everything you bring up there, I think the reaction, the way we should all go about the news from last week, there were a handful of, of uh, disheartening stories, I think we should just be mad about everything, How do you, what, do you, what do you say to that, let's just be infuriated about absolutely everything that happens you know the worst part is though is that 
basically Tencent is going to leave Sumo Digital alone and let them do their own shit. They're basically going to continue to allow them to operate as a free agent as, as they've been doing. And I, I kind of hate this. I'd rather Tencent be like, no, 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 we're going we're gonna to tell you to do this and that because this leaves the door open for Sumo, Di- Sumo Digital to continue to work with Sega and make more Sonic racing games and things like that. And that's going to really fucking conflict me because if there's a Sonic racing game out, you know I got to play it. You know I got to spend every penny there is to spend on it. You know I got to go rob a bank so I can buy all the microtransactions. But if I know it's being backed by by not not Chinese, not a Chinese company, but rather a communist company, a company that has close ties and affiliations with the Communist Party of China, then we're going to have a problem on our hands. How do you separate the art from the artist? How do you support the blue blur and fight the freedom fight as Sonic does while also uh, put your middle finger out to the communists and say, hey, stop fucking murdering the Uyghurs. You sack of shit. So thank you, man. I don't feel good. About, I don't feel good about anything happening. EA's King update, major update. Lighten the mood, guys. Let's let's get into something really important. Something absolutely 100% of you guys give a shit about, and it is that EA's King, after months of ban, despite me not hold, upholding the ban, and despite months of Surugi being MIA. So God knows if we even have a moderator anymore. But EA's King has finally finished all the steps to lift his ban. He had Taco Bell last week, which we learned about, but now. EA's King has had Mountain Dew, the nectar of the gods, the green guzzler, the the swamp water that runs down from the highest peaks of heaven, whatever you want to call it. EA's King has finally had the Mountain Dew. And EA's King jumped in the Twitch stream the other day to be like, hey, by the way, finally had Mountain Dew. And then just like kind of went went silent. And and this is the second time you've done it. You've done it here on the YouTube comedy. Like, finally had Mountain Dew. I'm like, okay, don't just tell me you've had Mountain Dew. Tell me how it fucking was. And, you know, thanks to the Twitch stream, we already got a response. You did say it just tasted kind of like, well, what is it you said? You said it tasted kind of like 7-Up, I, I believe. And I was infuriated because it was such a, no. 7-Up tastes like Sprite. If you actually, and, and I said this on the stream, if you're telling me that Mountain Dew just kind of tastes like Seven Up, what that really tells me is that you haven't had Mountain Dew. You're just making it up. I think you're just assuming. You're just like, oh, Mountain Dew comes in a green bottle. What is that like, Seven Up or Sprite or something? Yeah, it just kind of tastes like the Pepsi version of Seven Up or the Pepsi version of of Sprite. I guess. Ha ha ha. Shrugs it off. Listen, man. Did you really have Mountain Dew? If you're gonna sit here and try to compare it to Seven Up, there's a difference between a lemon lime soda and Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew has a flavor profile all unto itself. Yes, I know. Orange orange juice is the third ingredient on the list. We know lethal migraine. Thank you for teaching me that. Don't need to know that. What we need to know is that Mountain Dew is not like 7-Up. Mountain Dew is not like Sprite. That's like saying Santa Claus is like God because that's just not true because we know Santa Claus gives you presents and God uh, gives cancer to children. So it's just not even a comparable thing to talk about here. So... I, I kindly ask, actually, I simply demand that you retract that statement and you try Mountain Dew again. You go back to the drawing board. You th- you have a nice long thought about what it is the Mountain Dew tastes like with with 7-Up and Sprite not being possible, possible answers. And then you come back and you tell us, what does Mountain Dew really taste like? Let me get you on the right foot. I want a five-page paper by next week's podcast titled, To Me, Mountain Dew Tastes Like. 
and I want that. Five five pages, Times New Roman, double space. You better have that MLA format bullshit to my desk by Wednesday night next week. Fucking, mm. Let's talk about the Steam Deck. A couple of you guys wrote in. Sam Torres swooping in for his, told you, double penetration. What, what can I say? Uh, he, Sam Torres says, Steam Deck, fuck Shrek. Maybe they were trying to make orangutans happy, but the handheld controls look totally monkey-handed to me. Whoever did the R&D for this console must have thought we hold blink. And then YouTube censored you. It gave me the notification, gave me a preview of what your comment was, which is what I just read. And then it, it banned it when I clicked on it to try to read the rest of the comment. It just shadow deleted it. So, Sam, we'll never know what the rest of what you said is. Maybe it's for the better. We'll never know what you said, Sam. So, Sweaty Bandito says, hey, Jesse, where is Apple in the mobile console game? The Steam Deck is just a beefy, powerful tablet with god-awful button layout. Pair an Xbox controller with an iPad and you can get a similar experience. Apple has the hardware and the software to compete in this space, and they don't. Why not? Google, Amazon, and Netflix are all getting in on the action. And I want to answer that, but before I do, I want to read Count Skyla's comment as well, um, so we can just talk about all this in tandem. He says, Ugh, I'm on vacation next week, so I'll miss next week's stream, but I hope to catch up on them after that. Well, that's that. I guess that's unrelated. Thank you, Count Skyla. But you say, I hope the Steam Deck does really well because I will be all over a version 2.0, but given Valve's hardware track record, I'm passing on the first iteration. The Switch does feel horrible. I'm always afraid to say it. People jump all over me, but the Switch is the only is only good in docked mode with a pro controller. In that situation, though, I have this conversation in my head the entire time trying to convince myself that I would be having more fun if I were just playing Xbox. Thank you, Count Skyla. One for one for backing me up on the Nintendo Switch feels like shit in your hands argument because I feel like no one will ever... I feel exactly like you. I feel like no one ever wants to back me up on that. People are just like, no, Animal Crossing is on Switch and I like Animal Crossing, so Switch is good to hold in your hands. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. But anyway, all being a total asshole to innocent people aside, I the reason I want to read these in tandem is because I think Count Skyla kind of touches on the exact reason why Apple doesn't. And let me, let me just, because I'm, I'm so self-indulgent let me just preface with this it sounds like i really hate on apple sometimes i want to express how much i actually really like apple my brother and i were actually talking today i'm about something with computers and we were talking about apple video editing software and i basically just said the nice thing about when i used to own a mac was regardless of how powerful or not powerful it was it just ran all the software so well no matter what i was doing and my brother was like yeah apple makes incredible software and i was like yeah only if you're only willing to use apple software and apple hardware and nothing else anyway the point is that got me thinking i'm like you know what i will say as much as i love being in the windows ecosystem as much as i love xbox and microsoft and blindly give them all my money even though they have enough money to buy the world 10 times over i can't help but but give tip my hat to apple despite the many, many shitty things they do. All these big tech companies do shitty things, but besides all the anti-small developer things they do and all the we-don't-play-nicely-with-others kind of attitude Apple has, you got to give them credit. Apple is so goddamn good at just building A-plus hardware, A-plus software, and they almost never release anything in a state that is less than excellent. You got to give Apple credit for it. I get it. I know a lot of people listening to this podcast are like me. They're very big Android users. They're very big Windows users. They're very Xbox over other brands of gaming, Microsoft, this kind of shit. Listen, I'm right there with you. I'm here on my Surface Pro. It's got an Alcantara keyboard. I love the Surface brand. I'm obsessed with it. I bought their stupid fucking phone that's in like beta, basically. I, I love Microsoft. I love the shit they make. But you got to give credit where credit's due or else your opinions don't mean shit. Otherwise, you're just a fanboy and you're not a real person with individual thoughts and ideas and opinions. So I got to give credit where credit's due. Apple 
is excellent. Everything they make is really fucking rock solid. But with that said, that comes at the expense sometimes of waiting till it's way too late. Apple just released live tiles on iPhone last year, which is the signature staple feature of Windows Phone from like 2008, 2000, what, what was it, like 2009, whatever, fucking Windows 7. No, I guess so. it starts when, when we got Windows 8. Whatever, what am I even saying? Apple literally just did the key tag thing to find your like missing iPhone or whatever, which, you know, Nokia released like eight or ten years ago. Apple literally has based its entire platform over the past decade on slowly catching up to everything available on iPhone, both form factor and feature-wise, and their notification system on iPhone is still an absolute piece of shit compared to Android, and iPhone has just been playing this game of like, let's wait until something's kind of old enough that we can get away with it, you know, where only like the tech enthusiasts will notice, and then we'll just swipe this feature from Android, swipe this feature from Windows, swipe this feature from someone else, this small developer will just crush them, take their idea and build their own version of it, and then they just do the Apple thing, and then the millions and millions and millions of Apple people out there who are really into Apple, but not necessarily really into the consumer tech market, and don't really follow things outside of Apple, are just like, wow, Apple's amazing, I will give my left nut to Tim Cook if he will just blow me, and then we're left with this like frustration thing from other tech enthusiasts who are just like, Oh, you don't understand. Apple's not original, but you got to give Apple credit where credit's due. And even if they do take other ideas or wait till something kind of is forgotten before they swoop in and try to use it as their own. Apple never releases something that is less than excellent. And so what's the thing about switch is it's kind of shitty switch is a really cool concept. And the reason why it works is because Nintendo hates good looking games. Nintendo hates high performance and modern powerful hardware. So Nintendo gives you a toy, which is the Nintendo switch is basically a fucking toy with a calculator on the inside. And the way they sell it is because it's one affordable and two, they make really, really, really fun games that make you go. I don't really give a shit that everything else here sucks because the games are so fun. You know, Mario is so fun to jump around in. I don't really care that it looks like an Xbox 360 game. And that's how Nintendo wins, right? Steam wins because they're Steam and they can they have enough money that they can jump into whatever and throw something at a wall. And we don't really know if Steam Deck's going to take off or not. But they're going to try because they have the money and why the fuck not, right? Apple's not that kind of company. They don't do what Steam is doing with Steam Deck. They don't do what Microsoft does all the time. We're like, here's a new idea. Oh, it didn't work. Okay, cancel it. They don't do what Google does all the time, which is here's Google Stadia. Just kidding. It's canceled before it's even out. They don't, they're not that kind of company. Google or Apple is incredibly calculated, meticulous, and they, they will wait as long as they need to, to make sure it is the most opportune time for them to jump into something. And I just don't think it makes sense for Apple to just be like, here's a dedicated gaming something or other. Their brand is so based on like designer this and iconic that and luxury this and that and appealing to absolutely everyone for them to get into gaming is really tricky because it's like, because then it suddenly becomes this thing of like, it's a really niche product for a certain segment that doesn't appeal to everyone. It it requires them to get invested in all these other things they're not traditionally invested in. And if they do it now, it just looks like they're jumping on on board and copying everyone around them. So I think for Apple, it really is a combination of like, we're not going to do it until it's old enough and, and proven enough that when we jump in, everyone will think we invented it. And two, I think I, th- I think it's another thing where like, <clears throat> I don't I don't know if you guys realize not you guys. I feel like I'm talking down to you by saying that. I don't know if 
in general, people understand enough how niche of a product something like Steam Deck is. Steam Deck is something with the potential to sell to a very, very specific market. A platform like Steam is so successful because everyone has to have a, a, a computer and you could run at least 50% of shit, if not more, of the games on Steam on pretty much any computer in the world. So Steam works because it's free and it's available on everything. The market is massive. But Steam Deck is going to be incredibly niche because Steam Deck is not going to be a cheap, family-friendly, super fun original games that are locked onto this platform and nowhere else thing like the Nintendo Switch is. And it's not going to be this thing of, well, everyone has to own a Steam Deck, so of course they'll use it. So it's going to become a niche product where people who are really into gaming but also want to do it in their also want to game in their bed and have it on the go and be able to take their steam library with them everywhere they go and have you know the the luxury of being able to just drop 400 bucks on ostensibly what's a toy you know something that's complementary and supplementary to their already established gaming rig it, it just becomes this thing that's very very niche for a very specific market and apple doesn't make products like that i know it I know it might sound like they do. To Apple, a niche product is like Apple Watch. You know, everyone needs a smartphone, which is why everyone buys iPhone. But not everyone needs a watch. Watches are eh, they're accessories. They're optional. But even that is more mainstream than a dedicated PC gaming device, right, with the Steam library on it. So I think Apple knows, one, it's way too niche of a product. Two, their thing is more about casting the net to everyone, if that makes sense. Like, yes, everyone's a gamer, you know, like Phil Spencer and people like that always talk about how everyone's a gamer because they're including fucking like 50 year old moms playing Candy Crush Saga while they pick up their fucking uh, drive through Chick-fil-A number one, not spicy combo. It's like, okay, that's not really what like people are thinking about when they're thinking about gamers and not talking about the person playing Candy Crush. And that's kind of Apple's market for gaming. You know, the app store is their steam and that's really their market when it comes to gaming. I don't think Apple's in, in interested at all in trying to have a Mario competitor, have having a last of us competitor, having a halo competitor. It's just not their thing. So let's like, it's like, what do you, what do you want Apple to do? You want them to make a streaming service like Stadia or you want them to make dedicated games like Nintendo, or you want them to just put Apple arcade on some like, you know, dedicated piece of hardware. It just, it's just a weird thing to look to them to do. Right. And, and I'll just, and I'll just close on this, this note, Apple wants the largest install base they could possibly get. If you release a niche product that is billed as a gaming device, you are immediately shooting yourself in the foot and saying only a small fraction of a fraction of people will buy this device. But if you put it on, if you put your games on something like an iPad, a cell, a smartphone, suddenly your market is infinite. It's everyone because everyone has a smartphone and everyone has a, a laptop or a tablet or some kind of equivalent like that. And so you know, it, sometimes I think maybe maybe gamers get a little confused by this, like. Xbox sells very well. Nintendo Switch sells very well. PlayStation sells very well. Compared to, like, smart devices, oh my god, PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo, that is chump change compared to the amount of, like, iPhones that Apple sells or Samsung Galaxy phones that Samsung sells. Are you telling me, like, like, PlayStation 4 is a massive success because it sold, like, 130 million units so far or something like that. That's great. Apple sells, like hundreds of millions of iPhones, so it's just not really, it's really an apples to oranges kind of comparison. It, I hope that puts into light just like how niche of a, of a product something like a dedicated hand, handheld would be, or gaming hardware would be, like even if they try to turn Apple TV, I know for the longest time Apple TV as a console, would it was like a rumor, but like 
again, it's like they want the wide cast net. They they don't want to just get the gamers. They want to get everyone. Everyone needs general tech, which is laptops, tablets, phones. Not everyone needs gaming devices. And when they do go niche, like Apple Watch, they go with the Apple brand, which is very designer, very like New York fashion or Paris or LA fashion. Like it's a it's an accessory, it's a trend, it's a lifestyle. Nothing about like gaming handheld really screams like this is my image, this is my lifestyle, this is my this is my like I, this is my aesthetic. But an Apple Watch says that it, it tells people who you are, where your brand loyalty lies, uh, how much you're willing to spend on nice things. It's you know like like an Apple Watch or an iPhone is a fashion statement. I don't, and that's kind of where Apple leans. They're like they're like the designer brand of like smart devices of like technology. And I don't know a way Apple can spin like a switch competitor into that kind of light, you know, like there's a reason why they bought beats by Dr. Dre and why they have like AirPods look so incredibly stupid, but also unique is because it's like, you want to look at something and say, Oh, that's Apple. And that's, they pioneered that. And it's been incredibly effective for them. I mean, like, look, everyone copies it. Even Microsoft surface does because I promise you Microsoft wouldn't be making computers that look as sexy as surfaces do if it weren't for the success Apple, you know, felt with the Mac all, all that time ago. Whatever. We'll drop it now because I'm getting way off topic, but I just don't see a reason why it makes sense for Apple to do it. Although, listen, I agree. It'd be awesome. It'd be any anytime one of these new competitors wants to try to toss their toss their hat in the ring and be like, oh, let's give it a go. It's, it's just interesting because you want to see how it plays out. Like, we all knew Google Stadia was going to be a massive flop, not because it's not good, but because we all know Google can't commit to shit except stealing your fucking information and selling it off and having the worst search engine that's because uh, Bing is better. Fuck you. Uh, like, we, we all know Google was going to give up on Stadia way before, you know, they said anything about it or whatever, but it's still fun to watch them jump in and try. It's fun to watch that story unfold and to see how it plays out, you know? And Google Stadia was from, I never used it, but from most people say it was pretty damn great, actually. But eh, it's just kind of hanging on. Anyway, let's talk about Battlefield 2042, because oddly enough, of you guys want to say something, some things about that game. Trippy Hippie says, just came here to say that Call of Duty is insanely basic and Battlefield has always been far superior. And then I responded to you and said, personally, don't think they're as comparable as people make them out to be. I want to like Battlefield more, but the simplicity of COD has always just clicked better for me. And then Trippy Hippie, you came back and you responded to me responding to you and said, this is the perfect time to get into Battlefield. 2042 is looking so good. Love the show, by the way. It helps me get to the workday. Thank you, Trippy Hippie. I appreciate that. Also, like your name. Cool name, dude. Yeah, man. I Listen, I won't dwell on this for too long, but I get it. I, I've had a couple of you guys reach out to me and talk and like talk to me about this on Twitter and in X on Xbox and other platforms and, and, and talk about the Call of Duty versus Battlefield thing. I know the Call of Duty versus Battlefield is like, you know, Call of Duty versus Battlefield is like Coke versus Pepsi, Coke versus Pepsi, Microsoft versus Apple. I, we get it. It's a, it's a whole thing, but I really don't, I really don't see like, I get it. They're both like EA and Activision are like comparable, big American publishers, video game publishers. And, Call of Duty and Battlefield are like their big military shooter tentpole multi-million selling franchises. So I get where the comparison comes from. They both kind of dawned on the PC from a similar era and grew up to be a very popular mainstream shooter, even on console. Like I I get where the comparison is drawn. And don't get me wrong, we see all the time 
where when one of these franchises evolves, the other one kind of follows suit. And talent from both DICE and various Call of Duty franch- or developers constantly flip around. So it's not unfair to compare them. But my thing is, it's just they're not the same. Call of Duty is so pick-up-and-play, instant gratification, run-and-gun, easy for anyone to jump in and, and try their hand at. And that's what makes it fun. Is like I pick up Call of Duty. I don't need to be good at the game. I don't need to know the ins and outs of the game. I just need to know run, aim, shoot, reload, done. And you just run around a map and you shoot at people. And it's great. And people tell you they're going to fuck your mom. It's really weird, but it's fun. It's tried and true. Battlefield is way more technical. Like, I'm not saying Battlefield is bad. It's just different. Like, listen, I'm not going to sit here and try to deny Battlefield is a more visually stunning game. It is a more technically impressive game. Battlefield's always been about large-scale maps, destructible environments, aerial and, and vehicle combat, and all these things. Battlefield has always been many steps ahead of Call of Duty in terms of technical prowess and just and just overall being a more innovative and technical and impressive game. That doesn't make it more fun, but yes, it is more impressive. Listen, Sega always had more powerful hardware than Nintendo. Sega always bragged about graphics and performance more than Nintendo. Which one's still making consoles today? Nintendo won because their games were simple but effective, and that's what made them stick stick around. And I think when we can talk about the mainstream consumer and not just the hardcore gamers who want to go at it, like Xbox versus PlayStation, I think it's really plain to see that the majority of consumers agree because even though both franchises are incredibly successful and sell many millions of copies, Call of Duty way outsells Battlefield. Call of Duty sells the best, the best-selling Battlefield of all time has, has sold a fraction of the amount of units that like your average Call of Duty. Uh, Call of Duty games sell like, 30, 50 million units in lifetime sales. Battlefield games sell like like 7, 8, 10 million units at, at, at most. I'm pretty sure. I'm kind of making up those numbers on Battlefield. But I know it's not even close. And don't get me wrong, those are incredible numbers. Battlefield is an incredibly successful game. But again, it is nothing compared to the monolith that is Call of Duty. So I think the general public, the, the average consumer, the Call of Duty fan, the guy that just wants to pick up a couple games, just the Maddens and the Call of Duties, and kind of doesn't really give a shit about the games industry outside of those two games or whatever, those kinds of players, that mass majority, that silent mass majority, they like the easy to wrap your brain around, pick up and play jump in, jump out nature of Call of Duty. It's very effective. It's very accessible. And I think that's what makes it so popular. So... I know a lot of you guys are like, Jesse, with this Activision allegations and, and the fact that the development is rumored to be kind of messed up on this year's Call of Duty and the fans being upset with Battlefield or Call of Duty uh, Cold War last year and with how good Battlefield 2042 is looking, how could you possibly think that Call of Duty is going to outsell Battlefield this year or Call of Duty is going to be better than Battlefield? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, or in terms of sales, I am saying that, but what I'm saying here is, it is indisputable that Call of Duty is just a rolling juggernaut that cannot be stopped. It will take a lot to kill Call of Duty. It is just one of those things. It's like Fast and Furious. As long as they make them, they're going to make a billion dollars at the box office. Call of Duty will come out this year. It will probably not even be close to the best Call of Duty ever released, not even by a mile. It will sell way more copies than any other fucking game released in this year. And people who love Call of Duty and don't give a shit about Halo or PlayStation vs. Xbox or any of your weird little gamer like obsession things that we all talk about on this podcast every week, those people who don't care about that but buy Call of Duty every year are going to play the game, shut up, and be happy no matter what. And that's just how this works. And so 
dude, I, I, I just fall into that camp a lot where I find Call of Duty so easy to pick up and play, so easy to get addicted to. It's it's easy to just have a good time in Call of Duty. I'm not saying I want to prefer Call of Duty. I'm just saying I, I just gravitate towards it. it. It clicks for me. I can't control that. It just does. I've tried so many times to get into Battlefield. I love Battlefield. I think it's a really cool franchise, and I have a lot of appreciation and respect for it. I liked Battlefield. Bad Company 1 a lot. I liked 1943. I liked, I liked Bad Company 2 a fair bit. I loved the campaign portion of Battlefield 1. And I have every intention of buying 2042, but I just know because I do this every fucking time. I bought every Battlefield in the past 15 years with the exception of Battlefield 4 and Battlefield 5. And I just know how this works. I know how it works. The game's going to be coming out. I'm going to get excited. It's going to look beautiful. I can't wait to play. I'm going to download it. And then the day it comes out, I'm going to play and be like, I fucking suck. I can't play. I don't have a squad to coordinate with. I don't have the patience to get good at it. The second I die, the respawn's too long, and then mm, my squad's on the other side of the fucking map, and we gotta travel 50 miles to get to the other side of the battlefield, and when I finally get to the objective, some fucking plane's gonna shoot me out of the fucking ground, and I'm gonna get frustrated, and I'm gonna pull my hair out, because I just wanna pick up a gun and run around a small map and shoot at things that are the enemy color. That's what I wanna do. But Battlefield's going to ask me to become a fucking marksman. It's going to ask me to watch a series of history documentaries about great wars fought over the years. It's going to ask me to get my fucking pilot's license. It's going to ask me to teleport back to the Great War to learn how to drive a fucking, uh, what are those called, aqueduct vehicles or whatever. I don't have the patience. I don't have the inclination. And it's just not what I'm looking for in a military shooter. So I'm not saying... Battlefield's a bad game. I'm just saying, Battlefield doesn't cater to people like me. And I know they try. I know they have modes where it's like, just team deathmatch, just boots on the ground, no vehicles, smaller versions of the maps. And don't get me wrong, I, I do better in those modes, but it just doesn't, it's just not Call of Duty. It's not quick, it's not fast, it's not as immediate, the gratification isn't there. It's just not what does it for me. So, I'm, I'm only ranting on this for so long because... I've just been getting so much of this lately that I'm like, guys, listen, I'm not saying Battlefield 2042 is bad. I'm excited for the game. I'm really happy people are pumped about it, but historically, Battlefield just doesn't do it for me. Again, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to be disappointed by it. I know how this cycle works. I do it every time. So it will get its chance. It will get its day in court with me, but I'm telling you, it's not going to happen. All right. Chicago Gamer 420, one of the best names ever on this podcast. Guys, take notes. As we wrap up the comments here, Chicago Gamer says, Hello, Jesse. Happy Saturday. It's not Saturday. I have a question for you regarding your move to the beautiful city of Orlando, Florida. Did you move to Orlando because you're passionate for Disney? Or did you discover your love for Disney once life took you to Orlando? Or are the two things totally coincidental? Life brought you to Orlando and you already happen to be a big Disney fan. I'm not a huge Disney fan from afar here in Chicago, but I bet I would love living next to the park and would develop an interest if I happened to be there. Cheers! Well, lucky for you, I'm not in a big Disney mood this week. I'm in a big video game mood this week, so I'm not going to indulge too much in the theme park talk. Lucky for you guys. But uh, no, thank, this is this a fun question. It's always fun to just talk about myself with no relation to anyone else. But no, I, I, I'm a huge... I always have to make the distinction. I'm a huge Disney theme park fan. My love for the Disney movies and the Disney brand and all the other stuff comes from my love for the theme parks. It's not like I grew up obsessed with Little Mermaid and Aladdin and then I wanted to move to Disney to become a fairy. Like, 
those things are great. And yes, I grew up with Disney movies and I liked them, but like my love for Disney comes from the parks just being that special of a place that I became, in, I fell in love with Disney parks. And then that in turn helped amplify and uh, grow my appreciation and love for the movies and the rest of the company's other bullshit, except their corporate structure because fuck the Walt Disney company. They're pretty fucking awful. They fire a lot of people and uh, they uh, steal a lot of money from the Americans, but that's okay. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I knew since I was a little kid, my, my, my grandparents left Connecticut when I was little and moved to Tampa, Florida. And then we used to like, just, we would vacation a lot with my grandparents in Tampa because it's like, Hey, we have a lot of kids and not a lot of money. And it's pretty affordable to take the kids to grandma and grandpa's house for the week. Plus, Hey, we're in Florida. So you can pretend, you know, the beach and shit like that. So we, we would just come to Tampa a lot growing up. And I always just remember like thinking like, I know on the map, Florida is like our neighbor because we're in Georgia. And I'm like, but Florida still feels like some super exotic, far off place just by comparison to Georgia, just because the the region's just so different, you know, going from just going from like the mountains of North Georgia to like the fucking swamp, the tropical swamp of Florida. And I don't know, I just I just fell in love with Florida and I was like, I want to live here one day. So I knew from a very young age, I either wanted to live in Tampa or close to Disney, which just so happened to be Orlando. And then when we finally went to Disney when I was a child, I was like, okay, this fucking cements it. This is the most incredible fucking place in my entire life. I need to live here. So I knew since I was a little kid that I wanted to live in Florida, and it was because of Disney. It was just because good childhood memories, fun place to be, and then Disney cemented it. And then, you know, I grew up and went to high school and got sad and listened to emo music. and was like, maybe I'll move to L.A. and be an artist or something. I don't know. Whatever the fuck it is teenagers think they're going to do. Because every teenager at some point is like, am I moving to L.A. or New York? Well, those are my only two options, right? But anyway, yeah, so whatever. As soon as I got old enough to where, like, I could just start coming here myself, being like, oh, I am an adult, I make my own money, I can make my own decisions, and I would come down to Florida uh, to go to Disney with friends or girlfriend or whatever. Um, I just I just fell in love with Disney. I was like, yeah, as soon as I graduate college, as soon as I get the degree under my belt and all that shit out of the way, I'm going to just move to Florida, and I will, I will set up my life around living there rather than doing the whole find a job and let your career take you where it may kind of thing. So... That's what I did, and I love it here, and I'm happy here, and uh, my, my, my right, rule of thumb is I cannot live more than 15 minutes away from Disney property, so right now I live, technically, I live 12 minutes, you know, like 10 to 12 miles from Disney World. It should take me 15 minutes or so to get to Disney from where I live right now, but the traffic where I live is so fucking bad, not because there's too many cars, but because Floridians are afraid of driving over 35 miles an hour, so it, sh- it just takes me so fucking long to get to Disney. But, you know, it's still relatively close. I mean, I say it takes me so long as in like it takes me 25 minutes, but whatever. It's a uh, it's it's I love it. I, I cannot live. I always say I, I cannot live anywhere other than right next to a Disney park. Ideally, I'll live here in Orlando near Disney World forever because Disney World is very, very, very special to me. Got to be near Epcot. But I, I always say if I if I didn't live here, I would have to live in like Anaheim, California next to Disneyland or Tokyo, Japan near Tokyo, Disney or Paris near Disneyland, Paris. Like I have to be near Disney at all times. Um, I don't know. It's just it's my happy thing, dude. When I'm not when I'm not playing Xbox, when I'm not doing the podcast, when I'm not at my my day job, uh, when I'm not doing the video game thing, like my other big passion is just 
heading over to the parks, taking a lap around Epcot, just enjoying the beautiful sights and smells and, and sounds and seeing everyone have a good time, grab a delicious theme park snack, maybe ride one of my favorite rides if it has a low wait time and just being there. It's really just about being in that environment and taking in that atmosphere. It's one of the greatest things in the world to me. So that's why I'm here in Florida. Uh, but you know, if you never, if you, I don't know if you've been or not Chicago gamer, but if you've never been, it's, it's worth a trip. I think, you know, I, I don't have kids, obviously, so I can't speak to that. But through my observation, coming to Disney World as like a parent with your children fucking sucks. You're so tied down. It's so expensive. But if you're like a single adult, if it's just like you and a significant other or you and some friends, you can do Disney for a pretty affordable price by splitting the cost, staying at one of their cheaper resorts, and you can have a fucking blast. There's some incredible restaurants here, incredible um, incredibly fun things to do regardless of age. I, I, I always say this, man, like there's nothing more fun than coming to Disney as like a single childless adult. It's fucking great. Anyway, Mojo writes in and says, lol, Jesse, if you keep talking about the CCP, you're going to end up mysteriously disappearing. And in the podcast, the Twitch game night, it'll all be over. But seriously, free Tibet, free Taiwan. Amen, Mojo. Compassionate, Choice LLC writes in and says, Hey Jesse, been following the podcast for about a month. Must say it's a refreshing take on the monotonous nerdy Xbox commentary we hear all too often. Well, I hope you like Disney uh, banter and giving Apple credit while also tearing them down. Uh, with all the talk around Blizzard's abhorrent culture, I love the point you made about China and I can't agree more. People, people might not like my opinion, but it needs to be said. We still live in a world where basic human rights, which are which we all take for granted, are violated around the globe daily. The fact that people are afforded the luxury of being able to focus on minor issues, verbal harassment, being PC, whatever, just to name a few, people in China are getting killed by their government. Human trafficking, genocide, murder, lack of access to basic sustenance. All of these things still happen, and us privileged folks in the first world country can't get over these bullshit topics in the media. We really ignore the real issues in society. Anyways, keep up the unpopular opinions, Jesse. P.S. Your soda talk is egregious. Thumbs down. One day you'll 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 expand your palate to the level of grown-up beverages. Iced tea, coffee, lemonade. Alright. I know this is an Xbox podcast. We're supposed to talk about video games. This is a little heavy-handed shit. The thing is, like, in the past week, a lot of political things, a lot of real world things have seeped into the game's uh news cycle. So I don't know what to tell you. We gotta talk about this, right? And I'm I'm here's the millionth comment where I say I won't spend too much time talking about this 25 minutes later. But I mean like I'm not trying to tell anyone what gaming practices they need to take and how they should view and interpret certain companies and things that happen in the news cycle. Listen, as a gamer, your only real obligation is to play the games you want to play and enjoy playing games because this is a hobby, it is a thing we do for fun, it is a thing we do for escapism, it is a thing we do to to be creative and express ourselves and unwind and, and just have some fun and relaxation. So... I'm not here to get preachy and to tell you you're a good person or a bad person, depending on what games you play and who you support, but we are all responsible, <laughs> right, for, like, the things that happen around the world based on the purchasing decisions we make, the people we allow to continue to operate in the way they operate, and these are things we gotta think about, right? Like, I really wanted to play Black Ops Cold War Zombies this week, especially on my stream on Sunday, and I just couldn't do it. And my brother was like, let's be honest, it's it's time to play some Call of Duty, right? Like, we were playing a lot of Halo, let's play some COD. And I was just like, no. <laughs> like, I I personally, and I, like, this is going to sound really snowflake-like or whatever, but I just got to be honest. Like, I, I'm sure 
time will pass and I'll go back to being an awful person or whatever. But at this moment, I don't feel comfortable booting up Call of Duty. I don't feel comfortable playing Tony Hawk. I don't feel comfortable supporting Activision in this moment because I'm really, really disgusted with them. And I realize I have a part to play in that. It's not about me saying, I'm not buying the next Call of Duty. Now Activision's going to go out of business. But it is me saying, I don't want to support this stuff. And I think I have a role to play in it. Whether it makes a difference or not, I know whether or not I'm supporting a good cause or a bad cause. And we are at an impasse right now in the games industry. You know, we talk about how, like, the the kind of human rights cognitive dissonance that has to exist in order for us to operate in the first world, right? Like, we talk about how great the Xbox Series X is. But listen, we don't get Xbox Series X without slave labor in China building it for us. And we are way past the point of no return in our, in our Western culture because we have corrupt governments that don't want to address these things and don't want to do anything about this and let companies do the wrong thing, uh, things that are inhumane, and just let Apple go around talking about Pride Month but ignoring the fact that they build all their fucking iPhones with slave labor. They never want to talk about that. They'll put the Black Lives Matter hashtag up when it's time to support Black Lives Matter, but the second you bring up to Tim Cook that like they have millions and millions of, of iPhones produced by slave labor in Chinese, basically like prisons, these fucking sweatshops, they'll be like, uh, scratch their head, no comment. Because it's only convenient for them when it benefits their bottom line. And we're at a point in our society, unfortunately, where what it, realistically, the, the, the possibility of turning that around, of making companies bring the businesses to factories that, that pay their workers a livable wage and, 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 and treat their workers ethically and give in, you know, Charge the consumer a little bit more so that the people on the other end making your products can have a, a real and human life. We're at a point where it's kind of too late for that. I'm not saying it can't happen, but realistically, that ship has sailed and we never did anything about it. And I think now we're at another impasse. We're at this point where we have a lot of these weird communist type conglomerates with all this fucking money coming in and buying all this media. And you want to get outside of games, they're, they're buying all the real estate in the U.S. It's weird. Weird shit's going on. And, and we can either turn a blind eye to it or nip it in the bud now. Now while it's still small. And we can say, no. No, fucking Activision. You cannot, you cannot silence people who represent your company because, they're, because they stand with the people of Hong Kong who are in support of their own fucking freedom. No Sumo Digital you shouldn't just take money from this company because they offered you a price that you couldn't refuse. Like, you should fucking put your foot down and stand for something for once instead of just hiding behind your fucking iPhone and conveniently being like, I support LGBT, but when it, times, when it comes time to stop fucking communist China from murdering their own fucking people, all of a sudden it's like, well, my money's on the line. I can't make a real humane decision because this isn't convenient for me. This actually puts... This puts my skin in the game, and I can't make a decision when that happens. And that's what that's what drives me fucking nuts. Is it's like, guys, I'm not trying to say some some like these other issues don't matter. Of course they fucking matter. Of course the social issues we talk about here in the Western world matter. Of course they matter a great deal. All these things matter towards a more equal and fair world for all. But the the fact of the matter is, we are talking out of our mouths from both sides here, talking about all the quality of life social issues we face in the U.S. and in the Western world and Canada and in Europe and all these places. But when it comes to murdering and oppressing and silencing and disappearing people in, in communist China, we're just like, well, it's not our country. We can't do anything about it. Let's keep buying iPhones. Let's keep letting these communist-affiliated companies 
buying us out and telling us that we can't talk about Taiwan in our game, that we can't acknowledge. And by the way, the game I forgot to mention last year is Guilty Gear Strive, where they erase Taiwan from the game preemptively to appease the communists. This is the stuff where it's like, this is early enough in the process that we can do something about it. We can decide to vote with our wallets. We can decide to speak out against these companies and say, John Cena, that embarrassing apology you did to fucking China in, in Mandarin, that was that was cringy as hell. You're fucking weak. You're a piece of shit for apologizing. Like, you suck. We can do that. We can actually use our power, use our voice, use our withhold our money to stop this shit from happening while it's still young enough while it's still small enough to stop. But the thing is, we're probably not going to, and it's probably going to get big enough to a point where we can't stop it. So it will be the next slave labor building your iPhone in in sweatshops kind of thing, where we just turn a blind eye to it, focus on our really, by comparison, smaller quality of life first world issues, and just let, let the atrocities continue on around the world. And that's what this is... Like, I'm, I'm sorry that offends anyone, but, like, this stuff really fucking matters. And it, it hurt, like, more than anything, like, it's easy to get angry about things you can't control that are bad. But, like, more than anything, this stuff just makes me lose so much faith and hope. And it just makes me so sad because I'm like, fuck. We have more of a voice than ever before. We have more power than ever before. And we do so little. And, again, this isn't me saying, like, uh, see how smart and how moral I am and how much better I am than you. That's No, dude, I'm fucking awful. I'm here with my my broken Microsoft Surface talking about how I can trade it in to get a better Microsoft Surface that's not broken and then and then you know I uh, got to get the Xbox Series X even though my fucking Xbox 1 plays all the same goddamn games and you know just I'm 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 here I'm doing all the same shit you know all I do is stress about how uh work was hard today traffic sucked I can't wait to go home and buy something on Amazon from China and uh have it be really cheap and then be pissed if it's not at my fucking doorstep in less than 12 hours like I'm guilty of all the same shit, but again, this is a this is a thing that hasn't fully happened yet. We're at the advent of it, and it's still small enough that we can do something about it. And that's why I think it's really important to talk about. It's really important to hold these companies accountable. And that's why, despite my love for Call of Duty Zombies, I can't play it right now because I just don't feel right. Now everyone's turned off the podcast and gone, what the fuck is this about? I just wanted to hear about the Halo test flights. Like Seriously, all three of you remaining. We'll just wrap on the comments there. We do have a couple other ones. A couple of you guys uh, asking about the stream and things like that. I, I actually do just need to... I do just need to leave one last comment. Just something to lighten the mood. A little stinger at the end. Eric Masson has a fun fact for us. He says, I did just learn that Mark Hamill, of course, Luke Skywalker from Star Wars, did the voice of Goro Majiman from the first Yakuza game. And I thought I would share this mind-blowing fact with y'all. Have a sunny day. Eric, I want to say two things. One... This makes me absurdly uncomfortable to learn that for some fucking reason, as someone who's played Yakuza and knows who this character is, to think of Luke Skywalker voicing this man makes me incredibly uncomfortable. And two, I never had to know that until you said this because I play the Yakuza games in Japanese with English subtitles. So now you've gone ahead and not only made me uncomfortable with this fact, but you've had to inform me of something I didn't even need to know about because it's not even relevant to me. I don't play the game in English, and goddammit, you've gone and ruined my day. Eric, thank you for writing in. Now, that's going to do it for all of our comments. Shoutouts. Remember, if you feel comfortable enough, if you, if you haven't been turned off enough on this podcast with my political rant, if you haven't said, Jesse, Xbox is about gamer score, not about being a stupid fucking idiot. I say, shut up. Don't be shy. Reply. Now, let's jump into what I've been playing. But before I can tell you about what I've been playing, got to tell you about... 
what I've been eating. How else, how else are you going to follow up a conversation about communist China ruining the games industry without telling you about what I've been eating? Guys, it's real. I'll keep it real simple. There exists a ramen bar. They are from Japan. Their name is Jinya. They are a really good chain ramen restaurant. About 10 or 15 years ago, maybe a little longer, I don't know, they came to the United States of America through a magical land known as California. They said, we're going to expand to this place called the United States. So they opened up a couple locations in California, and all the Californians with their slicked back hair and their fucking surfer pants ate the ramen from Japan at the Jinya, and they said, wow, this food is so good. And then Jinya said, I wonder if other people in America would eat our food if we opened more locations. And so six years ago, I was living in Atlanta, Georgia, a magical place on the East Coast of the United States. And Jinya was like, yeah, we'll open a location here. And so I tried it for the first time. It was probably 2016. And goddamn, Genius set my whole... It just it reinvigorated my whole world. It's It became my go-to ramen bar. I fucking loved it. I love their ramen. They have this one. It's called the cha-cha garlic. It is a tonkatsu broth with tons of garlic. Lots of heavy pork flavor. It's delicious. Fatty, delicious pork all throughout. Bean sprouts. Fucking green onions. All the good shit. Thick, chewy noodles, but not quite as, not like udon thick, but still pretty decent sized noodles. God, they were so good. Favorite ramen I could get in Atlanta. I loved it. So you can only imagine how excited I was when I moved to Orlando, Florida and real and learned, oh, Ginya just opened their first location in Orlando. Wow. So I get to move to the Disney place and still have my favorite ramen bar with me. Well, I don't live in downtown Orlando. It's about 40 minutes from me. It's a little bit of a hike to get out there with traffic and all, and parking's a bitch. So I don't really get downtown a lot here in Orlando. But this weekend, I said, fuck it. I've been here two years. I still haven't had Jinya in Orlando. I'm really itching to have my favorite bowl of ramen. So we went downtown, and we went to Jinya, and I was so excited. And yeah, the sign's the same. And you walk inside, and it kind of looks like Jinya as I remember it back home. And oh my god, I can't wait for this fucking ramen. And boom, their menu's different. I don't know if this is a COVID thing or if maybe they have different menus depending on locations or states. I assumed chain restaurants, same menu everywhere. It's like McDonald's, right? I don't care if I'm in Wyoming or fucking New York City. I expect there to be a Big Mac on the menu either way, right? So I say to my server, I'm like, "Uh, hey, man, I don't see the cha-cha garlic ramen on the menu. Uh, Do you guys still have that? And he goes what the fuck are you saying? Like this, this, this server was made deeply uncomfortable by my comment. He was like, what the fuck is the cha-cha garlic? He, he thought I was going to start like doing the cha-cha in the middle of the restaurant. He backed up a couple steps. Don't think I don't notice. Uh, and I, I, I made the dude uncomfortable. What can I say? But no, he goes, we don't have that here. And I, I try to save some face. I go, sorry, uh, we're from Atlanta. The genius there has a different ramen. I'm sorry. I had to order all different things. So, that's fine. You know, I love Jinya. I'm sure they make other great food. Not a big problem. Let's try something new on the menu. Maybe I can find a new favorite bowl. Fine. So I get their classic tonkatsu ramen. Can't go wrong with that. Get a little bit of takoyaki octopus, little dumpling balls. Can't wait for that. My girlfriend gets the chashu bowl of rice that I normally get. So I'm like, I'm definitely going to pick on some of that, eat some of your food. And everything's good in the world. Food comes out. Everything tastes good. Let me just preface with this. Everything tastes good. But the ramen is significantly less impressive than what I remember it being. The takoyaki, actually pretty good, but kind of undercooked a little bit. And then the shashu rice, it just tastes like smoky meat, but with no pork flavor. And like way too much fucking uh, pickled ginger. And I'm just like, what what happened to Jinya? And so, you know, we ate all our food. It was fine. You know, for the price, it's still good. It's still above average ramen, especially, you know, in Orlando, where there's almost no good ramen anywhere. You know, I'm fairly satisfied with my meal. 
if this were my first and only time going to Ginya, I would have been like, that place is pretty rock solid. I'll be back. But just knowing the menu items that aren't there anymore and how much better it used to be, I'm just like, God damn it. Can this fat little blonde boy uh, have a good bowl of ramen in, in the entire armpit of Central Florida? But no, apparently the answer is no. I've tried almost every, like, hot spot ramen place in Orlando that you can think of. There's only one left on my list I really need to get to. And so far, they have ranged from god-awful ramen to, like, pretty decent, but I've had much better. And that's kind of where we are right now. So I'm still struggling with the bad Asian food in Central Florida. Now, the good news is, also downtown, there is a strip on the main the main road that runs downtown here in Orlando, Colonial Drive. There is just a mile or two mile long strip of just endless Vietnamese shops and restaurants and stores of all varieties. And so we go over there, go to a couple bubble tea places, a couple markets, get some banh mi, save the day, really save the day. Because even though I've had a hard time finding a really good Japanese place, I did find there is a, there's a really shout out to the Paris banh mi. I think that's what it's called. It's called Paris something. I think it's Paris banh mi or Paris bubble tea, whatever. One of the better bubble tea places I've ever been to. And it's one of those like really cool ones where it's like really hip and they injected a lot of money into making it look all like hip and cool for teens to come with their laptops and do some studying. And they have all the little pastries, all the little croissants and the little cakes and the banh mi and all the different drinks, the coffees, the teas, the bubble teas, all that stuff. And I got to be honest, this place is fucking awesome. This is really, really good. Their banh mi is like, they take real liberty with the, with the classic banh mi recipe. They use like, like a very like public style baguette bread, if that makes sense. But like, it's, it's good. It's fucking good. Awesome food. Awesome drinks. Shout out to Paris Bon Me. But uh, yeah, that's what, that's it for what I've been eating. Also a little shout out. I came across an ice cream truck this weekend. Don't know how ice cream trucks still sell exactly the same shit. Still look exactly the same as they did in the nineties when I was a little, little, a little baby. So that was nice and nostalgic. Got a Sonic the Hedgehog ice cream. Those still taste and look the exact same as they did when I was a kid. So that was pretty great. They even still have the Sonic Adventure artwork on the on the wrapper. So incredibly dated Sonic design, but I'm not complaining because I fucking love that shit. So that's it for what I've been eating. But what have I been playing? Well, I, this week I'm, I, I'm I'm still trying to figure out a groove. Like how does personal time work now that? And this sounds like a complaint. I swear to God, it's not. But it's just. Now that I'm streaming on like Mondays and Thursdays and maybe sometimes on the weekend, all this stuff, it's my, my free time has gone from like, okay, I don't have a terrible amount of free time to like, okay, I really just don't have free time anymore. So the gaming I've done this week has predominantly been on Twitch. So if you've been following me on Twitch, you've been seeing what I've been playing. So it's a lot of Halo, but when I can a little bit before bed here and there, I replayed through Sonic Adventure 2. I've been playing some mobile Sonic games, just going, still kind of working through my Sonic kick, but this is a big week. We're going to get into some Halo Infinite. We're going to get into the Ascent. We're going to get some good games. So let's just jump right into the news. I know it's already gone pretty long but guess what it's a slow really slow news week so really all the big the big thing is just the halo news so let's jump in guys okay so last night wednesday night nope tuesday night whatever 343 is like yo we're gonna do the halo infinite test flight where it's the first little beta open beta test thing but it's not a beta it's a test flight as they say who fucking gives a shit we're gonna play halo infinite right so they're like on wednesday night at five we're gonna do a little stream and go over it at the time of recording this, I just finished watching that stream before I recorded the podcast. So that shit's all fresh in my memory after my whole political rant, I guess. But nonetheless, guys, guys, so they, they, God, that stream went on way longer than I thought it would. It was like an hour and a half. 
and they showed the game playing on Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and they went all deep into all the ins and outs of all of it. Here's what we need to know. So they just started randomly inviting in Waypoint or Halo Insiders into the, the test flight. And, you know, luckily I was very fortunate to get in and be among one of the lucky few selected. But I know they also didn't select nearly everyone who did, who's a test flighter because I saw a lot of you guys, unfortunately, on Twitter. Like, yo, I did not get my test flight invitation. So I, I am sorry for that. That is super bumming. But, you know, they did say during the stream is that they're actually still in the process of inviting people. So it's very possible that, you know, if you haven't been invited yet, you might be invited, you know, sometime today. Um, but at the day you're listening to this Thursday, the test flight goes up. So Halo Infinite, for the first time with very short notice, it's finally up. It's available for people to play in this early test flight beta-ish phase. And so you can guess why we're not playing the Ascent tonight. So when this when the, when this podcast goes up, man, tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern time, we're playing Halo Infinite. We're not playing the Ascent. Um, so we'll, we'll be streaming that all weekend on Twitch. I'm just going to be playing and streaming that game the whole fucking weekend. So yeah, I mean, this is the exciting stuff. And so we saw a little bit of a multiplayer match going on on Xbox one. Obviously the game looks a little worse than it does on series X. It definitely chugged a little more, even on series X, it definitely chugged and, and stuttered a little bit, but whatever they're like, they keep saying, Oh, this is a build from a few months ago. It's a work in progress. Please be patient. You can tell they were very, very much trying to set the expectation, control the message and avoid people getting mad and saying, wow, this game looks like shit. They did not want another July 20, 2020 type of event with a Craig kind of meme coming from this. But honestly, I haven't had time to really see what other people are saying because I just went straight to recording the podcast afterwards, but I, I thought it looked great. I think the game looks so good. The It seems like most people from the little bit I did see were mostly impressed with it, but I'm very pleasantly excited to tell you the game looks a lot more like uh, running in action, at least from a gameplay and a look and feel or a feeling kind of standpoint. The game looks like it feels a whole lot more like Halo 5 than I originally thought. I thought we got really far away from Halo 5. I thought we were going to go so far away from Halo 5 that there was only going to be clicking the right stick to zoom, no aim down sights, you know. And I thought they were going to get, you know, put reload back to right bumper away from X and everything. But, like, no, like, they showed the, the button layout and everything. And, of course, you can customize it. But the default button layout is very much like Halo 5's. The way the running and everything looks when the game's in action looks very much like Halo 5. A little slowed down, but still very much like Halo 5, like... I'm very, very pleasantly surprised to see how much it looks like they didn't 100% abandon everything they did with Halo 5 and go back to Halo 3 just to bend the knee and please fanboys. Like, it looks like they really did keep a lot of the modernism that Halo 5 brought with it, which for me is really exciting because I loved Halo 5's multiplayer, but it does look like it is the best of both worlds. It really does look like a a mix mash of Halo 2 with Halo 3, with Halo Reach, with Halo uh, 5. It really looks like those those are the games, and, and the only reason I say Halo 2 is just because the BR looks very Halo 2, but it mostly looks like Halo's 3, Reach, and 5 combined into one game, and I mean that in the best way possible. I mean, the game just looks just phenomenal. Uh, yeah, obviously, there's still a lot of work to be done. You can tell it's a little rough around the edges, but I don't give a shit. By the time you guys are hearing this podcast, I'll probably be on my way home from work, ready to play the fucking thing. And I just cannot wait to get my hands on this game. And you can bet your ass we're going to be streaming this all week. So I don't want to get too in the weeds on all the things they showed in great detail because it was a lot of granular, more specifically like Halo inside nerdy shit. 
And this is a general Xbox podcast. We don't talk about, you know, the ins and outs of every little detail of the game. We talk generally about the news. So I don't, you know, if you're not a Halo fan, I don't want to bore you with all the little details about, you know, which things in the battle pass are free and which things aren't at the same time. I guess I did just drown you out with like 30 fucking minutes of fuck communism talk. So (laughs) probably more likely to want to hear about the ins and outs of Halo on an Xbox podcast than why we need to stop communist China from taking over the games industry, but whatever. (laughs) And then in, in, in relation to that, you know, speaking of Halo Infinite, it looks like we may have gotten a little more of a leak or confirmation as to when we can expect Halo Infinite um, from a story on windowscentral.com. Let me just read. It says, Halo Infinite's release month has potentially been revealed by an advertisement for donuts. That's right. A tweet from the verified Xbox Mexico Twitter account has has possibly suggested that the game is coming during the month of November. The tweet reads, quote, you know, after translated to English from Spanish, uh, why wait for November if we can start the festivities now? The advertisement reads, Xbox Mexico and Mexico Krispy Kreme are celebrating 20 years of Master Chief with a special edition Halo Infinite donut available July 30th. So why wait for November? The official Xbox account in Mexico is saying, why wait for November when you can play it now? So sounds like they're basically like, oh, shit, we weren't supposed to say that. You know, it sounds like they're leaking the date. So, you know, like I, I've said before, things can change. I'm sure a lot of why Halo Infinite got a holiday release instead of a November release was because they're they're like, we know it's coming in November, but there's still a slight chance it gets delayed till spring. So we just don't want to we don't want to make a claim now and then have to walk it back later. Although they kind of already have to do that by saying holiday, whatever. But it just makes it a little easier if they have to delay it, I think. But you know, that, that sounds, that sounds like a slip up to me. You know, that doesn't sound like, oh, they're just being coy or, you know, they mean in Spanish, November just means holiday time. It's like, no, that's, that's, that's not this. It says November. I I took enough elementary Spanish to know November is November. So thank you very much. They clearly fucked up here. Now, normally the story, you know, would be newsworthy alone just for the do- just for the Halo Donut news, but I mean this is this is pretty exciting shit. So the reason why this matters is because we're closely now that we're in the test flighting phase, and now that you know we're past the we're past the E three stuff by a mile. You know we're closing in on mid to late summer. It's like, all right, guys, time for that release date. So I, honestly, I think what they're waiting on is to see how the first one or two test flights go with feedback and performance and game stability and all that, once they can take all that information into account, I think that's when they're going to put a firm date on on the release. I think that's when they're going to be like, you know, let's say the test flying goes really, really well, and they're like, wow, this game is really stable, and the feedback we're getting is mostly, like, overwhelmingly great. I think we're going to be able to hit that November launch date, then I think it's coming in November. But if it's like the test flights are like, wow, the servers are constantly broken and we're finding all these bugs and things that are wrong and broken and people are saying they hate this and they hate that and we got to go back to the drawing board on several things and this is a fucking nightmare. Thank God we're doing these tech fl- test flights instead of just releasing the game. Then we might be looking at a spring date. So I think they might be using these test flights as the final thing to judge the release date, to, to determine a release date. That is my my guess. Also, as a side note, these donuts so far, we know Mexico Krispy Kreme and UK Krispy Kreme are getting these Halo and Xbox donuts. No mention from US Krispy Kreme about Halo donuts. So, what the fuck? I just want to say, as a side note. So, there's that. Our next story. Again, not a big news week. We're almost done already. <laughs> 
Our next news story, though, coming from Windows Central, just reads, we'll just read it straight off. It says, Microsoft exceeded expectations with its fiscal year 21 Q4 Q4 earnings on Tuesday, closing the financial year with $46.2 billion in company-wide revenue. The Xbox platform holder also saw an 11 percent increase in gaming revenue year over year this past quarter, while software and services actually slumped 4% compared to its record 2020 year, which isn't that surprising considering where we were last year and all that. The latest figure comes as many key Xbox markets look to reopen following the COVID-19 pandemic. The overall revenue increase demonstrated continued growth for Xbox business, although content services failed to maintain the momentum. Microsoft attributes the $128 million decrease in content and services uh, revenue to a, quote, decline in third-party titles. One seeing through stay-at-home orders, uh, however, in-house first-party offerings and its Xbox Game Pass subscription services saw elevated uh, saw elevated uh, in the category, offsetting the impact of third-party titles. The company reported that reported record numbers for Xbox engagement last year, even scaling back some operations to account for unforeseen demand. Microsoft has also been continued has also seen continued three-figure growth on Xbox hardware revenue this quarter, increasing 172% bolstered by the Xbox Series X and X launch back in November. The latest console generated the latest console generation continues to face supply constraints uh, with ongoing chip shortages failing to meet global demand. Console hardware shortages are expected to continue into the next financial year. However, according to CEO Satya Nadella, said that the two consoles were the fastest selling Xbox consoles ever, quote, with more consoles sold live to date than any previous generation. So the moral of this is so far Xbox Series X and S are off to a great start at this at the at the clip that they're selling at they are selling faster than the xbox the xbox 360 or the xbox one so fastest selling brand i think what's obviously most impressive there is comparing it to xbox 360 which is always the generation that we look at and say wow that was the xbox console to beat that is the one that did phenomenally well the xbox one okay first attempt xbox 360 did phenomenal uh, Xbox One, massive slump. So that's kind of what we're all eyes are always, you know, at this point is comparing things to like, are we back at 360 numbers? Are we back at 360 numbers? We know last month, Xbox uh, Series X and S were the best-selling consoles in the U.S. over the PS5. And, you know, like I said when that was in the news, I would love to know what that if that would still be the case if... There was zero supply constraint on both consoles. You know, in, in a situation where consumers can just choose one or the other, no shortages whatsoever. Just pick the one you want, and that's it. Which one would have sold better? Because I still think the PS5 probably would have beaten it in that case. But nonetheless, this at least confirms. While it doesn't necessarily confirm that's more popular than PS5. In fact, we know it's not. This does confirm that Xbox is on the up and up by a ton. This is definitely a massive swing up for Xbox coming off the Xbox One generation and back kind of to more of its former glory from those early to mid from those mid-aughts days on the Xbox 360. So, this is really exciting news there. Um the other the other big thing it points out is how so- like services and game sales and shit are down a little bit. Obviously, this time last year everyone was locked inside their fucking house with nothing but a bunch of government aid money to go and blow on fucking video games so everyone and their mom bought a switch and and an xbox and started buying games and subscribing to game pass and doing shit so obviously numbers were up and up and up and you you don't expect that to sustain forever unless we stay in lockdown forever so no big surprise there uh you know four percent drop 
this this quarter year over year, it's probably still up from two years ago. So all things considered, now that we're looking at more stable and normalized numbers, it's probably still pretty impressive. Also, they said Game Pass subscriptions are up. So everything's really good. Everything's trending in the right direction here. But this is really important to note. So PlayStation Today actually announced that PlayStation 5 has already reached 10 million units sold. Fucking insane. PlayStation 5 has been on the market for like, what, like seven, eight months, and it has sold 10 million units. That is a massively impressive number. Now, Xbox, in their usual way, have not announced specific numbers. Xbox hasn't been announcing specific data um, since like the early, early, early Xbox One days, basically since the Xbox 360, really. Um, So we don't have firm numbers for Xbox, but analysts who were pretty damn close on the PS5 numbers are... Are, are speculating that Xbox Series X and S combined sales are somewhere in the five to 6,000 range or, or something about 6,000. Sorry, what am I saying? Somewhere in the 6 million range. So, so Xbox Series X and S, if these if these analysts are to be correct, which I assume they're at least ballpark pretty close, you know, it might be seven, it might be five, but I, I assume they're pretty close. Selling extremely well, not as well as PS5. That doesn't surprise me. Um, that's why I say, you know, last month's numbers probably would have been different if there was unlimited supply of both console, because my assumption is the reason why Xbox was the best selling console last month was because maybe there were a couple weeks in June in particular where Sony was having a particular hard time getting units out and shipped, shipped out and getting them on shelves. So maybe it just by default gave Xbox the upper hand advantage. Nonetheless, I'm not trying to be a PlayStation defender here, but I am just trying to say, I want to be really realistic. I want to set this stage really realistically. So if we do find ourselves in a situation where, whoa, Xbox is on top, it's out selling PlayStation, it comes as a surprise and not a disappointment when it doesn't happen, right? So I I, I stand by what I said a year ago, uh, what I said when the console first came out, all these things. Xbox Series X is going to do incredibly well. It's going to do a lot better than Xbox One. Xbox is in a much better place today than it was back then. I still don't think there's a chance in hell that Xbox outsells PlayStation. It's just not going to happen. And yes, Lethal Migraine, although you've been conspicuously absent lately, we know, we know, Microsoft's not worried about number of hardware units sold. They care about Game Pass subscriptions. I know, but guess what? This is an Xbox podcast about Xbox news for Xbox fans, and we care about hardware sold. And yes, Microsoft does care about hardware sold. Might not be the only thing that matters. Might not be the number one most important thing that matters to them. But it is something they definitely look at. It's something they definitely care about. And yes, the more they sell, the better. So these are really fun and interesting things to examine and follow. The moral of the of the story, though, or or the, the takeaway, rather, is just that both consoles are selling incredibly well. Xbox is definitely on the up and up. Massive improvement from the Xbox One generation. Um, but only time will tell. I think the story is not going to be, can Xbox outsell PlayStation this generation? But the, the story will be, can Xbox get pretty close numbers like they did in the Xbox 360 generation? Because remember, that generation was kind of frustrating because throughout the majority of that generation, Xbox 360 was the best-selling console. Uh, well, between that and PS3, obviously we sold best. But between the PS3 and Xbox 360, 360 was the best-selling console. And then in that last year or so, and like in 2013, you know, PlayStation finally just barely eclipsed Xbox and they both sold somewhere like the high 880 million kind of range. So that makes sense when you add those numbers together. It's pretty 
It's, it's pretty close. It's a little less, but pretty close to what Xbox One and PlayStation 4 sales combined are. So it kind of makes sense. Xbox basically split the market with PlayStation last time or in the 360 generation. And then obviously in the Xbox One generation, it was like, 70 30 basically playstation one so so by so much but it, the interesting thing to follow will be can xbox manage to get kind of neck and neck with playstation again can we get another split or close to it like when when playstation 5 inevitably hits 1 million units sold will xbox be at 60 80 93 like can we see xbox be kind of close again and that's what i think where the real interest lies and we'll see how that plays out in interesting ways as the generation progresses because remember microsoft is always going to have the lower barrier entry with the series s and microsoft has game pass which is incredibly attracting uh, attractive so if we see this generation continue to play out where playstation doesn't have a good response to game pass and game pass continues to just get better and better and better with shit like avowed and fabled and gear six and all this stuff just pouring into the service then i think we're going to see xbox start to pick up even more and more than we already have so for now, that's what we know about sales and performance and all that, and it's pretty pretty damn impressive. And then our wrap-up story, this comes from Axios, who reports that several senior developers at Gearbox Software who've worked on Borderlands 3 are leaving the company to go and work on a new independent project together. Gearbox confirmed the story to Axios, and senior producer Christopher Brock led mission design with Keith Schuler, the art director, and Scott Kester, and they've been with the company for over a decade. Paul Sage served as the game's creative director along with UX slash game field director Chris Straz uh, and the lead character artist Kevin Penrod. They're all leaving. News of their exit was announced internally about two weeks ago with the news with seven senior departures in total. A source with direct knowledge tells Axios that almost all of the departure developers are working on the same project currently in pre-production. Gearbox has already begun to shift new team members over in their absence. One source told Axios that the exits represented a departure of some of the studio's old guard and said that the team was excited for the fresh blood that is going to be leading the project now that they've left behind, uh, which is interesting. And then Borderlands 3 co-writer Danny Homan left Gearbox back in May after six years to join Respawn Entertainment as senior writer. So not on the same team as these guys, but left. So kind of some conspicuous stuff. So there's a couple things going on here. First of all, props for this story not being X people who worked on X project are now forming a new studio titled studio name. We don't know what they're making. We don't know when it's out, but you should be excited for it nonetheless. Cause we've seen way too many of those stories lately. It's like, why the fuck am I supposed to care about like four people with a name for their studio being like, get excited about our game that we don't even have anything to show for. So it's nice that that's not the story. This is more just inside reporting saying, Hey, reports say that these guys have left. So what we do know the big stuff here is that Gearbox getting shaken up a little bit with some core talent leaving. You know, that's that's big news, but the fact that Gearbox has Gearbox has worked almost exclusively on Borderlands for so long now tells us that it's it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, a lot of like big people have left, but they've been working on the same franchise for so long that you got to assume they've passed down all the tricks and tips and the work culture and philosophy and everything down to where it's not impossible for the the younger people, the newer people to step up to the plate and fill in that gap. You know, it's not like, oh, these really important people left halfway through a brand new project. It's like, no, they left, you know, like in pre-production for whatever's next and left this team that's been working on the same thing forever 
with you know with this franchise's continuation in hands it's like okay well they'll be fine right so then that's the first thing the second thing is whatever they're going on to work on next it's interesting because it's a lot of talent from a very specific team that's worked on very specific games so it'll be interesting to see what the borderlands people do in their next game you know these are keep in mind game field director so the person responsible for how borderlands feels we got the lead character artist and art director Scott. So the way Borderlands looks and, you know, mission designer and the way it operates. So you got the person who determines how the game operates, the person who decides how it feels, the person who decides how it looks. These are some really core people who worked on Borderlands. So now you're saying taking the most core of that talent from Borderlands, putting them into a new team, what are they going to make? So that's really all we know about whatever this next step is. It'll be interesting to find out. And we will find out at some point, but I'm really tired of these stories where we have to speculate based on someone's resume what's coming next for us to play as gamers. So I won't sit here and do that because I'm really tired of that shit, as I just said. Um, but the other thing to notice is I think that part about Danny Homan leaving back in May to join Respawn Entertainment, I think that's kind of like a not related thing. You know, it's just like that just also coincidentally seemed to have happened. But I, I don't see how him leaving months ago to go work at Respawn is really the same thing. Although... Although, what if he's working at, at Respawn on that new project that we saw a week or two ago where we said, Respawn's working on a new IP. It's not Apex Legends, not Titanfall, not Star Wars. New IP. And what if Danny left Gearbox to go work on that new IP, and now he's taking these guys from Gearbox and bringing them with him to Respawn to go work on this new IP? And then you have a bunch of core talent, the people who wrote and did the art direction, the level design, the feel, and all this stuff for Gearbox. They're going to work at Respawn on a brand new game. That's a possibility. So that is the speculation, the tinfoil hat interpretation of the story I want to bring about. Very possible. Very not possible. The big news is these people left. Not all the ways we can look into it and speculate. But nonetheless, just wanted to throw that rumor or that speculation out there and see what you guys think about it. Yeah, see, now I see the gears spinning in your head, and you're saying, oh, wow, let's start these rumors. Let's fucking start them. Let's put them everywhere. I'm already on reset era. I'm way ahead of you typing away like a madman. Okay, <laughs> I was just fake typing, and my keyboard spelled out egg. So maybe the new studio is called egg. Entertainment guys uh, group. Entertainment guy group egg. Uh, that's gonna do it for all of our big news stories guys let's jump into the important enough news stories important enough to make the podcast but not quite important enough to warrant their own discussion of which we have two quick ones Windows Central reports that Dark Horse Comics has announced that in collaboration with 343 Industries uh, the publisher will be releasing a brand new Halo encyclopedia book that encompasses two decades of epic storytelling with stunning never before seen art and the most comprehensive and detailed exploration yet of Halo's myriad characters mysterious worlds and incredible technologies in terms of when the book will be available, Dark Horse has confirmed that the book will officially release on March 29th, 2022. Notably, the book will be available, well, will not be available in comic stores until until March 30th, uh, and the book will run for 45 bucks a pop. You can pre-order it now, Amazon, where else would you pre-order it? Give your money to the big corporation. Last, Dragon Age, Netflix, need I say more? Because according to a report from Giant Freaking Robot, a Dragon Age TV series is reportedly in active development at Netflix. So, the only thing I have to say to that is, how funny will it be if we get an entire first season of a Dragon Age TV show on Netflix before we get another Dragon Age game? Meaning that 
from 24, let's say this, this show hits Netflix in like early 2023, late 2022, right? And let's say it's 2023, right? And there's still no fucking new Dragon Age game because apparently, apparently Bioware can't get it together. But from 2014 to 2023, we couldn't get a single new Dragon Age game, but we can get an entire season of a TV show based on the game from Netflix. Pretty possible at this point. At the at the rate we're going, that's that's pretty likely. So we'll wait and see if that show's actually happening, but probably is. But who really gives a shit? Now, podcast going a little longer than I thought it would for a slow news week. There are 20 new games coming out this week. You know, Xbox new game releases of the week. Normally we'd go through these, but 20 is a fucking lot for me to just be a dick and, and joke about these games. So we'll just go through the really important ones. Of course, as I said, Microsoft Flight Simulator is now available on Xbox Series X and S. Optimized for new consoles already was available on PC. Samurai sorry, Samurai Warrior 5 looks pretty good. That is out now. Splitgate is out now. I, I heard about this game many years ago. Thought it came and went already, but I guess it never came to console. Um, you guys were telling me about it on my stream, telling me to check it out. So... I have it downloaded. We're going to play that on the stream sometime soon, but it looks pretty fucking cool. As everyone says, it is Portal meets Halo, which is good enough for me. Also releasing this week, The Ascent, the game I'm most looking forward to. Uh, game Pass, so you don't want to buy it. Series X and S, Smart Delivery. Cannot wait to jump into that twin stick RPG cyberpunk game. Also, Blaster Master 3 is coming this week. It's out now. It's a Smart Delivery title. Didn't know there was a Blaster Master 03, so that's cool. And uh, yeah, that's going to do it for notable releases this week, you guys. Last, we'll round out with Games of Gold. Remember, there are a couple that are about to go away as we wrap up July. So if you still haven't, Planet Alpha is available till the 31st. Uh, Rock, a- Rock of Ages 3 is available till August 15th. You already missed Conquer, so that's sad. And Midway Arcade Origins is available until the 31st. But more importantly... We have our Games of Gold already announced for August, and I'm always ripping on Games of Gold for having a poor lineup, but August has a pretty fucking solid lineup. So we got Darksiders 3 for the entire month, which is a game I've been trying to get around to playing for three or four years, however long that game's been out. For some reason, Darksiders 3 just looks really cool to me. Uh, Ukulele, uh, that game made by the old Banjo-Kazooie developers from X-Rare Talent, that'll be available August 16th through September 15th. Then Lost Planet 3 is available August 1st through 15th. Um, I think, I know Lost Planet is really beloved, but I think the third one is actually pretty overwhelmingly disliked, but I don't know. And then Mark of the Wolves, uh, Garu, um, the SNK game from Xbox 360, available August 16th through 31st. So a lot of good stuff there. I think that's a pretty rock-solid lineup, especially considering how weak Games of Gold has been in recent months. So definitely be sure to get next month's games. Get this month's games if you haven't already. And guys, that's going to do it for our episode this week. If you want to follow me on Twitch, it'd mean a lot. We're trying to grow the channel. We're trying to get this all further. Subscribe on YouTube. If you're watching the show on YouTube, please hit subscribe so we can hit 1,000 subscribers. We're pretty close. We're pretty high up there. We're in the 800s. Let's get to 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. Follow me on Twitch, twitch.tv slash lightningextreme. We're going to play some Halo Infinite all week long. Thursday night, Friday night, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. Lots of Halo Infinite. So please follow me, twitch.tv slash lightningextreme. And for updates on when I'm streaming, what I'm doing with the podcast, what I'm doing next, stupid fucking tweets that no one cares about, political shit, Sonic the Hedgehog memes, whatever, follow me on Twitter, at Jesse DeRosa. And until next week's episode, thank you all so much. Empower your dreams.